Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we put a spotlight on the new First Home Savings Account, or FHSA, a new investment vehicle for Canadians looking to purchase their very first home. Buying a home can be a challenge for many first-time home buyers, especially in today's environment. But this new registered account allows you to save up to $40,000 tax-free towards the purchase of your very first home. Host Catherine Black sits down with Fidelity Canada's tax and retirement experts Peter Bowen and Michelle Monroe. Peter and Michelle give an overview of the FHSA and the main criteria and eligibility of the account. They discuss how an FHSA can fit into your investment strategy alongside an RRSP and a TFSA. They also discuss other factors like inflation and volatile markets and how that could affect your decision to open an FHSA. This podcast was recorded on April 11, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So let's kick things off. The new first home savings account, lots to cover. Could you please just provide a quick overview for our audience this morning? Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful new account. Absolutely. Uh, it's a hybrid as well. It's got the best of both worlds. So contributions are deductible, just like an RSP. Mm-hmm. And withdrawals, provided they're used for the right purpose, are tax-free, just like the TFSA. So uh, it, it is a great tool for people looking to buy their first home. To open one, you have to be a Canadian resident between the ages of 18 and 71, uh, and not own the home that you live in either now or in the four preceding calendar years. And and the account's complicated, uh, even has some loopholes. So let's uh, explore uh, how it works today. We're gonna get into all of that. Um, But Michelle, maybe you can just touch on how the contributions work into this new account. So talking about the contributions, uh, as Peter said, the first home savings account is a hybrid between the RSP and TFSA. So there's lots of similarities. And there's a few differences, and so we're going to get into some of those similarities and differences. So let's starting with the contributions. Uh, The annual contribution limit is $8,000 per year. Uh, And that contribution room starts when the account is actually opened, uh, which is slightly different than say the TFSA, uh, which the contribution room doesn't start and which starts when the person becomes eligible to open the account. So Mm -hmm. it's a nuance, but it's important nuance. Uh, The lifetime contribution limit is $40,000. So say somebody opens the account in year one, 2023, they make that maximum $8,000 contribution. It's going to take them five years to get up to the $40,000 lifetime limit. Um, As well as they don't have to do the full $8,000 per year, they could do $4,000 per year for 10 years to get to that $40,000. Now, like uh, RSPs and TFSAs, there's also the concept of a carry forward 
contribution that could be carried forward. Uh, and again, here's some nuances here as well, uh, is that for first, first home savings account, that maximum cumulative carry forward is $8,000. So if someone opens the account in 2023, makes say $1,000 contribution, but doesn't make an additional contribution, say two, three years down the road, the maximum they could make in three years down the road is the $8,000 contribution plus the additional $8,000 for that year, total of 16,000. So see, there are a lot of differences and nuances here. Um, now, like an RSP, you can get a deduction for those first home savings account contributions. Um, now, there's you can make that deduction in the current for the current year contribution, or like an RSP, you can carry forward that contribution indefinitely. So there's an opportunity to be helping some value add about the timing of making that first home savings account deduction. Uh, as well as there's a final piece here, there's an option to transfer from an RSP to the first home savings account. Now, there's no deduction for making that transfer, which makes sense because you got the RSP deduction when you made that original RSP contribution. Um, so there's, there's, some, there's some nuances, there's a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of nuances as well. Thank you for that. Um, lots of details. So that's how the money goes in. Let's maybe touch on how the money goes out. Peter. Basically, there is a 15-year clock on this. Uh, so once that account is opened, we've got 15 years to use it. And there are three options as to how that money gets used. So firstly, assuming we take it out for the intended purpose, which is to buy that new first home, uh, it's tax-free. Right, so that's wonderful, mm -hmm. wonderful news for uh, the users of these accounts. If on the other hand, someone decides they wanna go on vacation or buy a car and use the money for that, probably not a great strategy because that money, that, that withdrawal is now taxable. And finally, if we get to the end of the 15 year period, for instance, or when we turn 71, which is another limitation we have, uh, if we haven't used it for buying a new home, rather than withdrawing it and having it taxable, we can transfer it to an RSP, which, opens up a, a world of opportunity, really, uh, that, that this account can effectively act as uh, providing an additional $40,000 of RSP room if it's used that way. Now, we think the vast majority of people will use it for its intended purpose, which is to buy the new home, mm -hmm. but it's an available option. So if someone's renting and thinks, hey, you know what, I'm never going to buy a home, this account can still make a, a lot of sense. Sounds good. So we've covered contributions, withdrawals. Let's maybe dive into some of the questions because I know they're going to be coming in like a frenzy. Um, so to touch on the first one, Michelle, maybe over to you. If someone wants to contribute to say their daughter's FH FHSA um, and get the deduction, can they do that? FHSA is a bit of a mouthful. It is. I think we're going to figure it out eventually. TFSA was a mouthful when it was first introduced. So your question, can say a mother, and I'm mother of a 20 year old, mm -hmm. uh, contribute to my daughter's first home savings account? Mm -hmm. The short answer is no. Uh, but as always with taxes, there's a little bit more that we could get into here. Is that, well, I could gift my 20 year old daughter enough to make that first home savings account contribution. She could open her own account mm -hmm. and then she would also be then take the deduction against her own income. 
Perfect. And just maybe for clarity, you can't open FHSA on behalf of a child or a grandchild, correct? Right. They have to be eligible to open the account. Right. So Peter covered that, but over 18 years of age, resident in Canada, and not owning a home. Perfect. Just yes. want to make sure we get that for the audience. Um, Peter, perhaps over to you. I own a rental property, but I rent the house I live in from someone else. Can I open one of these accounts? Uh, the answer there is uh, strangely yes. So I've got a, a, a colleague that owns three properties in the Toronto area and has done very, very well out of real estate. And this account's meant to help people buy that first home, of course. So you'd think this person shouldn't need this account or benefit from it. However, they don't own the home that they live in, nor have they in the previous four calendar years. So this individual qualifies and can open up this account and take advantage of it, even though uh, he's, he's already got three properties in the Toronto area. Seems like a loophole to me, but it, it works. Interesting, very interesting. Um, so maybe back to you, um, what about US citizens that are living in Canada? Can they also open this account? Yeah, that That's a complex, uh, well, simple question, but complex <laughs> answer. Uh, the, the short answer is yes, and in fact, I think it probably does make sense for US citizens living in Canada. Now they have to file US tax returns. They're taxed on their worldwide income. Mm -hmm. uh, so this account would be taxable to them. Uh, another point is that they would not get the deduction for US tax purposes. That said, uh, given the tax benefits on the Canadian side and the fact that you know the US tax rates are lower uh, and they may be able to take advantage of, of foreign tax credits as well, I think in many situations, it will work for a U.S. citizen living in Canada. Again, more complexity, you know, the, the investments need to be thought about carefully. So there'll be PFIX if they're investment funds. So make sure you can get the proper reporting like mm -hmm. all of our funds will provide. Mm -hmm. uh, so lots of complexities. Those people should speak to their own cross-border tax advisor. But I do think it makes a lot of sense for them. Excellent. And maybe since we're you know, U.S. citizens, what about permanent residents to Canada? Are they also eligible for this account? Yes. So if they're resident in Canada, Excellent. they qualify to open it. Again, with that proviso, proviso of not owning a home currently and the age limits. Uh, and by the way, a home outside of Canada that they previously lived in can also uh, disqualify them. Right. Excellent. Um, Michelle, you talked a little bit about the contributions at the beginning here, um, but if I wanted to use, I or anyone that already owns a home, wanted to use this account type to perhaps um, add some additional contribution room if they're already maxed out in their RSPs, um, is that something that they can do through this account? Well, the first thing when you open the account, you have to be eligible. Right. to own that. So if, you're own the, if you've owned a property mm -hmm. and lived in it as your principal residence, then you're not eligible to open the account. Uh, but it's, it's a little bit interesting is that, well, okay, so you've opened the account and now you've purchased a home. You're not required to then withdraw from that, from the first home savings account mm -hmm. to contribute to that purchase. If there's some reason in inheritance, say for instance, and you wanna use that for that purchase, mm -hmm. uh, then there's, there's a planning opportunity here where the individual could continue to contribute to that account at say the end of the 15 years, roll that into their RSP mm -hmm. when they have to close the account. And effectively they've gained an additional $40,000 of RSP contribution well, I think that strategy works more for spouses where one hasn't owned a home and the other has and they get married because you do have to close the account within a year after uh, buying the new, a new home. So just right. caution okay. there. So. Right. 
Excellent. Love the caveats. Um, so with this new account type, is it true that a client could use this first-time home uh, savings account along with the home buyers, the RSP home buyers plan um, to purchase a home? How would those work in tandem together? So absolutely. Uh, when the rules came out, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the guidelines said, no, you had to choose one or the other. This new account, first home savings account, or the home buyer's plan. Uh, in November, they changed their tune and said, yep, you can do both. So it does make sense uh, for many people to take advantage of both. Uh, I think the FHSA is much more powerful because of the ability to take the money out tax-free, whereas that home buyer withdrawal has to be repaid over 15 years and ultimately becomes taxable. Mm -hmm. uh, but that said, there will be a lot of people that want to take advantage of both. Uh, and uh, it, it can, especially if you've got a disposal situation, you can end up with a lot of tax-assisted savings uh, going towards the purchase of that first home. Absolutely. That's great that you can use both. Sorry. Which I, I was thinking that you're, we have the home buyer's plan, we have the first home savings account, as well as the TFSA. Correct. So the three of those accounts. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a great segue into this next question around RSP, TFSA, now FHSA. Um, we'll get there. Um, you know, from an investing perspective, especially if you're looking to purchase your new home, where should you be allocating your funds? And would you have a different investment strategy depending on the account type that you're investing in? So all three accounts can help, right? Okay. Adding in the TFSA. Thank you for that, Michelle. That mm -hmm. is, it is absolutely a tool that people should be using. Uh, I think the FHSA is the most powerful. Uh, get that money in, claim the deduction if you're in a moderate or higher tax bracket, if you're in a low tax bracket, because we will see parents helping out 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds, mm -hmm. uh, maybe claim the deduction many years down the road or a few years down the road. Uh, but I would st always start with the FHSA and then between the RSP and the, the TFSA, it depends on tax brackets uh, and long-term strategies. And then from an investing strategy, I think if the purchase of a new home is the, the intent of all these funds than mm -hmm. the investment strategy, I don't see why it would be much different, to be honest. You know, the time horizon needs to be taken into account, but I, uh, I have a 24-year-old son who I think will be taking advantage of this. and. I know his style, he's probably gonna go all equities even if he wants <laughs> to buy a place in five years. And you know what, if that goes down, maybe it'll be six or seven years before he buys, so. That's but I think that's a good point, is that there's often a longer time horizon with the first home saving account. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, what, some of the questions we've gotten are around, what if you have a 12 to 24 month time horizon, would that, um, are there any caveats from opening this or would you change any of your investment strategies with a shorter time horizon? Well, actually, we brought in a really a good point here about, well, there's a couple things I want to bring in here, mm -hmm. is that, well, somebody who does have a shorter time horizon, say they're even going to purchase a home later in 2023, well, is there a benefit to opening up that first home savings account in 2023? And um, so they could get that, make that $8,000 contribution. And even though the accounts aren't open until first le legislation available is April 1st, so it's a short year in 2023, still get the full $8,000 contribution room for 2023. So that's an important nuance. Uh, once they make, somebody makes that contribution, um, they could pull it out of the first home savings account basically the next day under tax rules, uh, whereas for the home buyer's plan, somebody making an RSP contribution, they'd have to make that contribution 
hold it there for 90 days before making that withdrawal under the home buyer's plan. Uh, so there's a, there's a nuance there that's important as well. Uh, as well as for that first home savings account contribution, they're getting that deduction for 2023, which 30%, 40%, 50%, depending on their bracket, mm -hmm. there is a tax savings there as well. So I'm a tax accountant, watch the pennies, let the dollars take care of themselves. I think there's a real benefit. Absolutely. And you had mentioned April 1st, so that's when this account type um, came into effect. Does that mean that the contributions for 2024 will be on April 1st again, or will they begin on as of January 1st? Great maybe, question. Maybe to clarify for everyone. So it's on the calendar year. Uh, so, in, so if someone makes their contribution, let's say in July or August, uh, that in 2023, they could make that deduction on 2023 or carry it forward to a future year. In 2024, it would start January 1. That would be on the calendar year. Excellent. Um, so we'd mentioned the withdrawals after 15 years, you know, this account expires, if you will. But what happens after those 15 years if you don't use this account? Well, if you don't do anything, it becomes taxable. Right. So that's generally going to be a bad answer. Uh, the ability, though, to transfer it on a tax-free basis to the RSP uh, does add that planning opportunity for people who don't end up buying a home or even don't intend to buy a home. I mean, mm -hmm. I think about my son, Douglas, he may say, I never want to own, own a home. You know what? Still use this account, put the 40,000 in and then transfer it to the RSP. That's a tax deferred, tax-free transfer. Um, doesn't require the existence of any RSP room. Uh, doesn't take up any room. So it's again, like getting an extra $40,000 of RSP room by utilizing that strategy. Now, I. Douglas will buy a place, uh, as will most users of these homes, but that option is available. And uh, again, one of the things that makes this account more powerful. Absolutely. And just speaking of um, other, other individuals that may use this, so for example, if one partner owns a home and the other has never owned a home, can the first time home buyer use this FHSA to purchase that home together? How does that work? Uh, which, which of you would you like to take that? So oh, I'll jump in. The answer is no, right? Okay. So it, once you're once you're married, if you have uh, you know one one of the, the spouses previously owned a home and still owns that home, and then you try to jointly buy a, another home, uh, you, they can't do that because the rules are actually it's not just you; it's you or your spouse mm -hmm. uh, have owned a home now while a spouse. There is a one of those loopholes um, Michelle was alluding to earlier again, when two people get married and one owns a home and one doesn't, uh, and even if they haven't opened an account before, uh, open it before getting married, before becoming a spouse, that account's available for that person to contribute $40,000 over, over the, the lifetime of the, of the account, but not use it to buy a new house. Okay. But again, in that situation, it's $40,000 worth of additional RSP room in that situation. Again, I perceive this as a, as a loophole. There's a, a number of loopholes, but let's take advantage of it in those situations. Loopholes are planning opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I often get asked, will, will these loopholes get closed too, right? The, the federal government does focus on loopholes. I don't, I, I doubt it because the, I think their view will be that the slippage on this, the dollars lost to the federal government is going to be minimal and, and, you know, by and large. So it's probably not worth their efforts to 
close down these loopholes. Understood. Um, so putting another hypothetical out there or another situation, if you put in your $8,000 per year, uh, your contribution limit, and then you have the growth um, from your investments, are you able to withdraw, say, your accounts at $50,000 by the end of it um, for your first home purchase? Or what happens to the excess amount? Can you only take out the $40,000? So okay. what so does that look like? So we're making our contribution. We're going to make the maximum $8,000, get to our 40,000 exactly. lifetime limit. And then what happens? So when it's grown to $50,000 in our example, withdraw the full $50,000 for the purchase of the eligible home and that full $50,000 withdrawal is tax free. Okay. So it's the contribution and the growth. Excellent. That's that's a win-win. It is. Perfect. So what if you end up, um, say, needing the money prior to being able to use it? Uh, can you withdraw from the FHSA um, and use it to not buy a home? Or what would the penalty be for that? So why didn't they come up with a better acronym? You've I'm stumbled with you. over FHSA. I, I'm with you, Peter. <laughs> why didn't they call it the Registered Home Ownership Savings Plan? Our HOSP. Which, by the way, was an account that existed back in the 70s and 80s, many years ago, and was virtually identical to this new account. But I guess they, they wanted, didn't want to be as blatantly stealing from the past as <laughs> they really are. Something so fresh. It, it, it is a headache. But uh, no, if you take it out for a non-qualifying purchase, uh, I think that was your question a minute ago, it's, it's, it's taxable. Okay. So um, it's, it's, again, not generally going to be a, a, a good strategy. Okay. So this is Sounds great. Um, so we've talked about the FHSA and how it's used in contributions. Is there any other way that you would use this in your tax planning um, for your you know, of age children or ways that they should be viewing this um, when thinking through their, their overall holistic investment planning? So I, I'd say yes, that the, we, when we look at financial advisors, uh, the reality is most clients of financial advisors will own their own home, mm -hmm. right? So I think a, there's a big planning strategy though for those clients who have adult children who don't own their own home. Uh, we will see a lot of money. I mean, Michelle mentioned her daughter. Uh, I'm not gonna give Douglas any, any money because he, he, <laughs> he can come up with his own money, but there will be lots of people who are trying to help the next generation buy a home. This is a great way to do it. Right? whether it's by gift or loan, if one's concerned about whether they use the money properly or mm -hmm. if there's you know, potential marital breakdown issues down the road, or you could do it as by way of an interest-free loan. Uh, I think that's a big planning opportunity that a lot of financial advisors will be able to present to their clients mm -hmm. and get those, those adult children into the office and open these accounts. Uh, remember, it's the adult child that gets that deduction, but it's still very powerful. And while you're talking to them about this account, what about their RSPs and TFSAs? Absolutely. And I know both you and Michelle are always open and willing to talk to um, advisors, their clients, um, just around different retirement and tax strategies. Right. So I think as a marketing tool as well, I think it's also the grandparents mm. who want to ensure that their adult grandchildren are able to enter the, uh, in, in the housing market. And this is a way to be able to do that. So it's very much an intergenerational, I think, conversation. Very interesting. And speaking of planning for the future, um, you know, with future comes inflation. So this $8,000 maximum contribution limit, do we see that increasing? Or because I believe it's pretty steady right now declared. Um, is, that, is that where we're at? So in the Tax Act, a lot of uh, the numbers, you know, tax brackets, for instance, are, are 
go up with, naturally with inflation because that's how the law is designed. Uh, TFSA limits, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, in a $500 increments, but they go up with inflation. This does not have that built in. Uh, whether they change that down the road, unknown, but uh, at this time, it's $8,000 per year. So to use it earlier rather than later, arguably is beneficial. Okay, that's fair. And on the withdrawal side, again, um, just a question here around if there's any time limits that the contributions have to be in the FHSA prior to being withdrawn. Right, so making that FHSA contribution, uh, in theory, it could be pulled out the next day, uh, whereas home buyer's plan, it needs to be, you make an RSP contribution, needs to stay in for 90 days before withdrawal can be made under the home buyer's plan. Which, so there's a difference there. Which, I mean, it's just one of those extra complexities that they've built into this that differs from the RSP, the TFSA treatment. It's uh, just a lot of complexity for the sake of complexity, it does seem. <laughs> okay, well, I got to keep this rule in place over here and this different rule in place over here and factor them all in. But, mm -hmm. oh, well, it'll keep tax accountants busy. It, it will be, right? And that maybe that's... We don't make the rules. <laughs> that's excellent. Um, you know, we're nearing the end of the show today. Just any final thoughts on this new account type from either of you for our viewers? Well, I think it's just an opportunity to be having those intergenerational conversations with your clients. Here's another way to help save taxes. Uh, I think whenever you're able to explain a tax savings opportunity, uh, with your clients, I think that's really delivering value. And Peter? Well, I'm, I'm going to bring up a question I was uh, asked by an advisor this morning because apparently there was an article in the, in the Globe and Mail and probably other newspapers about TFSAs. Yes. And headline, I think it was front page of the, the business section, if not the entire paper, uh, headline about you can't use your TFSA for day trading. And the question was, what, what about these? Well, firstly, I'm surprised some lawyer thought that was worth taking to court because, you know, I think that had been uh, that would have been our advice previously is that these TFSAs should not be used for day trading because there, there's a big tax burden that goes associated that is associated with that. Uh, these accounts are the same. That limitation on what's called business income is there. So uh, definitely think uh, investment funds are probably a better better bet, uh, Catherine. But uh, yeah, as Michelle said, it's a really powerful account. It is the best of both worlds. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of Canadians are going to benefit from it and be able to get a lot of tax assistance towards the purchase of that new first home. Excellent. Well, thank you both for being here today. Really appreciate us, uh, appreciate you sharing your expert advice with us. And as I mentioned earlier, I know you're both always um, willing to speak with advisors, investors um, around this account type, other tax or retirement matters. So if you're interested, please reach out to your sales representative. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.